Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. One Sunday morning, uh, a pastor noticed uh, little Alex in the foyer staring up at the large plaque that hung on the wall there in the foyer, pictures of people in uniform with, with flags on the side of the plaque. And the pastor walked up to the boy and, and told him good morning, and the boy responded with good morning, not taking his eyes off the plaque. And, and finally the boy asked, Pastor, what is this? And the uh, pastor said, well, son, it's, it's a memorial to all the men and women who have died in the service. And they stood there soberly, staring at the plaque. The little boy's voice was barely audible when he finally managed to ask, which one, 9 o'clock or 10.30 service? I didn't get it. Okay. That bombed. The boy thought people died in the church service. Wow. Yes. I was going to talk about be, you know being two months since I preached because of sabbatical, and how I might be a little rusty. Well, evidently, I'm a little rusty, but that's okay. I don't think anybody is going to die in the service. Uh, yes, yes, <clears throat> it's all good. Um, I, the sabbatical was, was exactly what I needed. I, I do thank you all for supporting me in that. Um, I feel a lot better, um, and I'm ready to hit the ground running as I have this week. Uh, and grateful to the Lord for the opportunity. Uh, but I'm back, back into it. I did feel a little rusty putting the sermon together. Didn't, did not feel as smooth. But we are getting back into Romans, and if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn uh, to Romans chapter 3. That's where we left off at a couple months ago. If you remember uh, in chapter 1, Paul, so there's this, Paul makes a case against humanity. That's what he's doing, just like a lawyer would make a case against a defendant. He's making this case against humanity, and in chapter 1, he talked about uh, the blatant unrighteousness of uh, the pagan society, uh, the Gentiles, everybody outside uh, the Jewish people, uh, and and how evil they are, Uh, and then just in case, well, not just in case, they were thinking that, um, he he made it a point in chapter 2 to 
I reveal the hypocrisy of the moralizers, those who were just, you know, going through the motions and, and acting righteous, like Jesus talked about, like whitewashed tombs, right? They, they were on the white, on the outside, they looked real nice. On the inside, they were full of dead men's bones. There was no righteousness on the inside in their hearts. Uh, so he made it, you know, made it clear. And the reason he was doing this, by the way, right from the get-go in, in, uh, in Romans is because the early Christian church in Rome uh, cons- originally consisted of both uh, uh, Jew and Gentile, Jewish people and Gentile people um, together. And then very soon after that church was started, founded, uh, the emperor, uh, the Roman emperor at that time, uh, forced all the Jewish people out of Rome uh, for a period of five years. So when the Jewish people came, were able to come back, they found this Christian church that was all Gentiles, all Greeks, and and, and other nationalities, and uh, and they weren't doing things the way they thought it should be done. And so there was some conflict. On, on what you're, what's expected of you as a Christian or, and, and what, uh, what exactly where you stand with God uh, as a Christian and, and what you're supposed to follow. So there was some conflict there. So he starts out with this indictment against all of humanity, starting with the Greeks, then with the Jews. And then, then we get into chapter 3, uh, the, the, uh, the apostle approaching the, the, the end of his lengthy argument and he asks himself how he's going to wrap up this argument. In, in, in verse 9a, he says, what then? Simple. What then? After I've said all this, what then? Are we any better? And he said, not at all. Not at all, for we have previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written. And so he he makes this charge that we're all under sin, we're all guilty, and then he presents his evidence... And the evidence he presents is from God's word. The words, as it is written, referring to the law and the prophets. So he, he goes to the Old Testament to show uh, the evidence. The evidence for the case. Pretty solid evidence, right? It's a, it still surprises me how often Christians try to be Christians without actually reading the Bible. I had one young woman express her surprise when she realized that she was expected to read this all of her life and not just once. That didn't make sense. But the Bible is very special. It's, it, it, it's, it's unique. It, it, I, one of my English, my English professors I would talk about poetry as tightly packed writing. Tightly packed writing. I like that term. To me, the Bible is the same way. Almost all of it is. 
There's so much meeting in such a small space, and it grows with you. The Bible grows with you. Um, uh, one of my professors in college, uh, Brother Budenseek, he was he was in his 80s, and he said one day we were sitting in class, and he said, "Gentlemen, I have read the Bible for 60 years, and I'm still learning new things." Why? Because as you mature in Christ, you start noticing things you never noticed before. It's a very special book. And it is, it should be the final word in your life in deciding how you're going to do things, how you're going to live your life. The Bible should be the final word. As one preacher said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And part of the corruption we're seeing in the American church is this movement that the Bible's not special. Not any more special than any other Christian book. That's how it starts. That's, that's how it's always started. The serpent with Eve. What did he do? Did God really say? Bringing the question... Did you misunderstand it? Maybe it's changed. I've heard theories, well, they've modified it. Hundreds of years ago, they secretly took out stuff or changed stuff. No, they didn't. There's continued archaeological evidence over and over again. The Bible can be trusted, and it will stand. So Paul uses seven quotes from the Old Testament. This indictment versus... Uh, on the verses 10 through 18. It was all pulled from different parts of the Old Testament. He starts out, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one righteous as in no one innocent, just, truthful, upright, conscientious. Not one. There is no one who understands. Those lost in the world, they, 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 they are confused. They don't know. They don't understand. It doesn't make, things don't make sense. They look at us like, why are you living the way you're living? It doesn't make sense. I told a story before. I, I, I worked on the flight line in the military and I had one guy admit to me that for years he thought I was gay. Now, why would he think that? Because I didn't talk about women the way the other guys did. See, he didn't understand. He exemplified exactly what the Bible says. No one understands. They are blind. They are ignorant. And continues on. There is no one who seeks God. They try to be their own God. They try to be in charge. They come to church and, and, and they go through the motions and, and, and they think, okay, I've done my due diligence, then I'm going to live my own life. That's pagan, by the way. The ancient Romans, during this time, Romans didn't believe in faith and trust and, and loving their gods. They didn't do any of that. They fulfilled their obligation out of fear that if they didn't, 
their gods would punish them. So I'm going to fulfill my obligation. I'm going to do this certain sacrifice in a certain way and a certain ritual. And then this God is going to be happy. And then I'm going to go live my own life. That is pagan mentality with religion. And that's what a lot of people who call themselves Christians, that's how they try to live Christianity. And it doesn't work. You have to have a relationship with God. They live their own way. All alike have become useless. Useless in what? In to be innocent, to be righteous. They have no means to make it happen. They have no skills. They have no tools. They have no knowledge. They have no ability. A man or woman is more useful to fly on their own by just jumping off a building than, find, uh, than making themselves righteous. There is no one who does what is good. Now, how is that possible? Some might ask, no one does good. I... What are you talking about? I'm not a Christian, and, and I, I go, I help at the soup kitchen, or, or I do a, a coat drive for kids. I do good things. Unfortunately, when you're not right with God, all good that you do is tainted somehow, some way, by sin. And we're going to talk more about how, how that happens. It's polluted. It, it's it's. Somehow, some way, we, 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 no matter what we do, if we're not right with God, everything is, is tainted by sin. So some people do something good for some type of reward. You can go on YouTube and, and watch non-Christians being interviewed, and a lot of them will say, um, yeah, I believe there's a God. And I'm, just doing, I'm just living the best I can, doing all the good I can, and, and I hope or I expect that that when I stand before God, that he's just going to let me into heaven by looking at all the good things I did. There's uh, Some people are motivated. Uh, the, the, the good things they do is, is polluted uh, by pride. They do it. So people look at them. Look at me, all the wonderful things I'm doing. I know a woman who every time, um, she, every time she does something in the community or for her family, she's posting it on Facebook. Look what I did. And she has every organization that she's ever been, there's a long list, every organization that she's been involved in on her page, even though she hasn't been connected with those organizations for many years. Look what I did. Look how special I am. Look how amazing I am. Pride. Some people's uh, the good they do is polluted by uh, by if anything by inherent selfishness. Those who are not right with God are inherently selfish, and so there's going to be some inward motivation. What can I get out of it? What's in it for me? 
And so Paul says, there's no one that does what is good, not even one. The great evangelist Dwight L. Moody told of being asked by the warden of a large prison in New York City to speak to the inmates because there was no chapel or other suitable or safe place to speak to the group he preached from the gangway at one end of a large tier of cells, unable to see the face of a single prisoner. After the message, he asked permission to talk face to face with some of the men through the bars of their cells. He soon discovered that most of the men had not even been listening to his message. When Moody would ask an inmate why he was in prison, the man almost invariably declared his innocence. He would insist that a false witness testified against him or that he was mistaken for the person who really committed the crime or the judge or jury was prejudiced against him or he would give some other reason he was unjustly incarcerated. Moody said, I began to get discouraged. But when I had gotten almost through, I found one man with his elbows on his knees and streams of tears running down his cheeks. I looked at the little window and said, my friend, what is your trouble? And he looked up with despair and remorse on his face and said, my sins are more than I can bear. I said, thank God for that. Moody was thankful because he knew that no man is open to God's way until he forsakes his own way. He will not seek salvation until he admits that he is lost. <clears throat> but they do things their own way. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. It holds death. They see with their tongues. They lie. There's this common perception that everybody lies. Once in a while you'll hear it on TV or in a movie, someone comment that everybody lies. When I was at NCO Academy, they asked us a series of questions related to ethics. And if the answer was yes, we would stand on one side of the room. The answer was no, we'd stand on the other side of the room. And one of the questions was, do you believe as an NCO uh, you can live above reproach, was the actual phrase, to have integrity, what they meant. Integrity first is one of the core values in the Air Force. Can you be honest? No matter what. In our flight, there was about 15 or to 18 of us, somewhere around there, maybe, maybe closer to 15. And whole group went to the side that said no. No, that's not possible. And I stood on the other side by myself saying, yes, it is possible. They actually weren't wrong. I don't think any of them were saved. 
So for them, it was impossible to live honestly. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. The words act as a poison that kills. It, It damages, it hurts, and even in churches we see this. Pilgrim's Progress, uh, John Bunyan talked about the, the preacher of the church. His name was Mr. Two Tongues. In the congregation, there was Mr. Smooth Man, Mr. Anything, and Mr. Facing Two Ways. These are all people of duplicity, dishonesty, lack of integrity. And they are not the hallmarks of a Christ follower. This is mankind at its nature, as as a fallen, fallen being. Verse fourteen: Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. They they wish harm to people. That there's foulness comes out of their mouths. They place curses on people. And bitterness, unforgiveness. Holding a grudge against somebody, sometimes for years or decades. How dare you? And the Bible says their mouth is full of it. Verse 15, their their feet are swift to shed blood. There's no concern for anybody else. No concern about somebody's welfare. If I can get something for myself, I don't care who gets hurt. It doesn't matter. Ruin and wretchedness are, wretchedness are in their paths. They bring destruction and misery to others. This is the state of fallen man. Verse 17, the path of peace they have not known. In fact, Isaiah 57, 21, God said that there is no peace for the wicked. They don't know it. All they know is conflict. And there's conflict all around them. At their workplace, in the community, at their homes. They don't, they, 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 that's a part of their lives. There's always something, some story, somebody offended me and, 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 and didn't do what was right and didn't I, do what they were supposed to. And so I'm going to fight against them for that. I'm going I'm to make them wish they'd never mess with me. And there's just constant conflict and turmoil. And I've had people, we've had people, I noticed that in, in missing I's home, we have peace. There's peace in our home. And it never occurs, remember, because they don't understand, it never occurs to them why, that we, if we have peace in our home, because we have Christ in our home. And, and they've told me, they thought, well, 
we just always thought you were just, what's the word? Um, basically lucky. They never occur to them. Verse 18, that there is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't respect God. There, um, there's lots of videos on YouTube where uh, people don't respect wild animals. Uh, sometimes a very dangerous result. Say they didn't respect. There's videos of people who didn't respect uh, great heights. And ended up getting severely injured or killed because of it, because they didn't respect it. <clears throat> didn't respect God. They don't respect God, but one living sovereign, one of the universe, one they are going to be standing before someday and being held accountable. And they're dismissive and despise and I don't care about God or, or just think of God as a, as a nice old harmless old man. So then we have the indictment. Notice that three features of this grim biblical picture stand out. First, it declares the ungodliness of sin. To be ungodly is to reject God's standards of morality. That's what it is. I know, you know, I know the Bible says I'm not supposed to lie or steal or or, or sleep with my neighbor's wife, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Notice near the beginning of this statement, uh, is in verse 11. It says, "No one who no one who seeks God." And at the end, there there's no fear of God. They don't see God and they don't fear God. They're dismissive of Him. And we just disobey God and say that I, I, I want to be my own God. I want to be in charge of my own life. I will set my own standards of living. Secondly, this list of Old Testament verses teaches the pervasiveness of sin. The devil will try to tell you, oh, just get involved in this one little thing. It's not going to affect anything else. It affects everything. For sin affects every part of us. In verses 13 through 17, there's a, a deliberate listing of different parts of the body. Did you notice that? It affects every part of us and every part of our lives. Finally, the Old Testament quotations teach the universality of sin. Notice it says in, in verse 10, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands no one who seeks God, no one who does good, not even one. And then it goes on to say, all swerved aside, all alike have become debased. 
everybody. We're all born into this, this reality where we are lost, blind, and in danger. Therefore, Paul concludes that according to God's word, no one will be declared righteous in his sight just by observing the law. Why? Because everything, including good things you do, if you're not right with Christ, is polluted by sin. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law. We know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law. First, notice the subject part, being subject to the law. There's this group, you may have heard of them, they call themselves sovereign citizens. And they, they believe that they can choose whatever laws they want to obey. And you can find, in fact, I watched one video this morning of a sovereign citizen getting pulled over by a state trooper. It didn't go well for the sovereign citizen. It never does. Either the, the cops and with judges and, and they try to pull up uh, confusing uh, ideas and, and uh, quotations from uh, the Constitution. Uh, and, and they always lose because no matter whether they like it or not, whether they want to believe it or not, they are subject under our laws. And a lot of people, a lot of non-Christians or pseudo-Christians will look at these sovereign citizens and think, man, how foolish, how dumb. But yet they are doing the same thing with God. They're telling God, I, I choose which laws I, I apply to me. I choose what I want to believe and not believe. I choose what I want to obey or disobey. And just like the sovereign citizens in American court systems, it's not going to fly in God's court. Notice the subject to the law. What law are we talking about? Well, first we're talking about the law written in God's word. The commands were given in the Bible. And you might say, well, Pastor Darrell, what about those who haven't read the Bible, don't have access to it? The Bible says that God's written the law in their hearts. There's a natural law God has given where people inherently know where something, whether something is right or wrong. And they're going to be judged by how they handle that. Because they are subject to that law. So whether you've read the Bible or not, there's going to be some law of God that you are in fact subject to. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, so that every mouth may be shut. That's an ancient equivalent to a mic drop for Paul. God said it, I believe it, that settles it, right? Everybody knows the law and every mouth may be shut. There's no excuses. There'll be no excuses on judgment day. 
And the whole world may become subject to God's judgment, right? As it says here, verse 20, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So they can't play ignorance. I didn't know. No, you did know. And that same law they'll try to use to excuse themselves will be the same law that condemns them. You guys all know what a plumb line is? The way at the bottom of a string been used for thousands of years to show a straight line up and down, using construction to make sure the buildings are built straight. The law is given as a plumb line to tutor us. And as the Bible says, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, in training in righteousness. It shows us exactly where we are with God's standard. But all's all's not lost. It's a pretty grim picture, isn't it? We're lost. What is this a fix? Is there, is there a hope? There's hope in Jesus Christ. And calling upon him and asking for forgiveness and, and, and making Christ king of our life and in charge of our life. And following after him each and every day. And we're going to talk about that in our next week, our uh, we're going, the rest of chapter 3 and, and, and then chapter 4 is all about this wonderful thing of being saved by grace, saved by faith. Look forward to sharing that with you next week. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.